Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We are uh, finishing up, actually, our series in the book of Judges. And if you missed last weekend, our kids' pastor, Christina Butterworth, did a wonderful job walking through the story of Gideon. And uh, one person thought she was awesome. Yeah, thank you. No, she did a fantastic job. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the message from last week. Uh, she really, I'm telling you, uh, I, and I told her this, on Saturday night, uh, she said some things that uh, honestly spoke to some things that were going on in my life, and, uh, and I am so grateful for that, and so please get caught up on that. Week one, we talked about, uh, from Judges chapter three, uh, a judge of Israel named Ehud or Ehud, and Ehud, uh, as he's known in Western Pennsylvania, uh, Ehud uh, killed a very fat king, and uh, that's the highlight of that story. Uh, and the uh, fat from Eglon overlapped the uh, sword, and he got away and delivered victory for the Israelites that day. Last week, Chris, Pastor Christina talked about Gideon. How Gideon and his 300 brave men defeated 32,000 soldiers, enemy soldiers, so 300 defeated 32,000. And uh, tonight, I want to talk to you just a little bit. We're going to pick up in Judges chapter 4. And if you missed the background on the book of Judges, I would encourage you to go back and listen to week one uh, from a couple weeks ago. And I gave a pretty lengthy introduction to the setting and what was going on geopolitically and what was happening with the Israelites at that time. Uh, but Judges takes place between the leadership of Aaron, um, I'm sorry, Joshua, <laughs> wrong timetable, uh, the leadership of Joshua. He led the nation of Israel into the promised land and his leadership ends, and the judges begin, and there were 12 judges in Israel, and then a king, Saul, was anointed king, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So the book of Judges takes place in that time period, and we're going to start in Judges chapter 4, verse 1, and I actually read this verse two weeks ago as I finished our, our last, uh, that, the message that day, and it says this, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in uh, Harasheth Haggiam. I think I got that right. And if I'm wrong, just pretend like it was right. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. We talked about this the last two weeks. This was the pattern that we see in the book of Judges. Um, The nation of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, God sent them into slavery or captivity to a foreign master. Uh, They cried out for help. God would send a deliverer, and then there would be a period of peace after that. And then the cycle would begin all over again. And we see the beginning of the cycle again, that they again did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he sends uh, a a different oppressor, uh, King Jabin, to take control of the Israelites. And this is so interesting to me because um, God didn't send the Midianites. He didn't send the, um, the, the Moabites. He didn't send the same people that he sent out time after time, all these other times. And I'm telling you, God wants to get your attention. And there are times that you're going to feel like different armies are coming your way and maybe God's just trying to get your attention. And he sends the Canaanites. And it's interesting because it actually says that he sold them, he sold his people 
to the Canaanites. And this sounds like he's not very loving. And, and I want to help you with this. The word for sold here is makar in, uh, in the Hebrew. And in the Hebrew, uh, it does mean to sell. But how many of you know once you sell something, you, you give up control of it? And this is really the picture that he's try, we're trying to paint here is that he said, you know what, if you don't want me to be your king, I won't be your king. I'm going to give you over to that which you have sold yourself into, basically. So their own rebellion is what takes them there. So I want you to read this in such a way that you understand our God is not an evil God. He's not a petulant God. He's not a childish God just trying to get even with us and go, oh, well, you're going to do that? Well, I'm going to bonk you on the head. Like, that's not how God works. God is grieved over his people. He's heartbroken over his people. And, and the natural consequence for disobedience is what happens here. God said there is something in place that when, when you act stupidly, you're going to get the results from that. When you sow certain seed, you're going to get a certain harvest. And they were sowing seeds of disobedience, and what they saw was they were taken into captivity because of the seed they sowed. And they were reaping captivity from the seed of disobedience. Does that make sense to anybody? I heard somebody say one time, everything happens for a reason. And sometimes things happen because you're dumb, right? Like, I don't know why this happened. I don't know why, you know, God would take this relationship away from me or why this person would leave me. And it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't have gotten into a relationship with somebody who doesn't love the Lord. Like, you, you sowed stupid seeds. Does that make sense? Uh, I know for me, there are many times in my life that I've gotten myself into trouble and I didn't need anybody's help. The devil didn't do it. Like It was just me being stupid. And it's what led me into a place of captivity. And this is what happens here. The nation of Israel, in their disobedience, in their search for a king, it led them to a place where they were in captivity. I love this because it says that they were in captivity for 20 years before they cried out to the Lord. Isn't that crazy? Wouldn't you love to think it's just them? But how many of us get in captivity to something and we get used to our captivity? We get comfortable with our captivity? We get kind of a nice flow to it and we know we're not comfortable, we know we're not happy, but we just get used to it, don't we? And the Israelites, they were in captivity for 20 years. And I believe what happened is a new generation had risen up. Uh, kids were born in captivity. And they started going, well, wait a second. Why are we in captivity? Why are we living this way? And I'm telling you, sometimes it takes someone else to go, hey, why are you living this way? Why are you living less than God's best for your life? And it took 20 years in captivity. So I want to encourage you in something today. Maybe you've got a child who's in captivity. Maybe they're far from God, they're running from the Lord, and you've been praying for them, and you think, you're, you're about to give up, man, should I even pray anymore? And I'm telling you, keep praying, keep chasing after God for your kids, because it might take 20 years, or 30, or 40 years, but someone will speak to them about their captivity at some point, so don't give up. It took them 20 years. It also says here, people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, because their oppressor, had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed them cruelly. Now, this doesn't seem like that big a deal to us because what we know of chariots is what we see on, you know, um, 
Ben-Hur or, you know, movies like that, you know, chariot races. We don't think that much of it. In that, in ancient world, uh, for about 3,000 years, literally, the chariot would determine who would win the battle. And if you had more chariots, you would probably going to win the battle. In, in modern vernacular, in a land war, it would be like tanks for us. Um, if, if I went to battle and I had 10,000 guys with me and we went out to battle against 900 tanks, um, we would not do very well, right? And that's what the landscape looked like here. There were 900 chariots and the strength of your army was determined by the number of your chariots. So they had 900 and Israel had none. And this is why they're going, we have no hope. We couldn't overtake this force. We're not strong enough. We don't have the military capability. The, the military advantage that the Canaanites had was huge. This was the ultimate David and Goliath story before David and Goliath had ever happened. In verse 4 of Judges 4, it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for her judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son, son of uh, Abinam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and from the people of Zebulun? And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. I love this. So there's this woman named Deborah. She was uh, the only female judge we see in the book of Judges. Of all the, the 12 judges of Israel, she's the only female judge. Uh, there were a number of priestesses uh, or prophetesses uh, as she is looked at in Scripture. And what we see is uh, there were several of them, Miriam in Exodus, um, Huldah in 2 Kings, Anna and Luke, and then Philip's four daughters in Acts chapter 21. So we see that there were prophetesses. God used women to speak prophecy, but she was the only one who was used as a judge. And the word judge here, the Hebrew word is shafat. And shafat, it literally means to judge or to deliver or to um, rescue, maybe is another way to say it. So when we look at the word judge, don't think of the judges we know. Judge Judy, Judge Wapner. That's not what I'm talking about, Okay. That is not what they did. Yes, they would render judgment, but in the eyes of the people, they looked at a judge, and this word judge, shafat, actually meant something different. Uh, it, it, one of the ways it can be interpreted is to avenge. So it was more like a hero is the way they, they looked at a judge as someone who would avenge me, someone who would protect me. So <laughs> if you like superhero movies, the, the uh, shafaters would not have been nearly as dramatic as the Avengers. But still, I guess if it was Jewish Avengers, it would have been the Shafaters. Anyway. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because this word Shafat is used several times to describe judges and, and to judge as a verb, uh, but it's also used to describe the future Messiah. And so when we look at the judge and we look at Deborah, we have to understand that she held, she held a high level of esteem. Uh, and when Deborah comes to Barak, who was the general of this ragtag Jewish army, uh, she calls him out. And she said, hey, didn't God tell you to go face Sisera? Didn't God say he would win the victory for you? And I love the boldness of this woman. 
that she just lays it out. And she said, have you forgotten what God said? And I can imagine what Barak was thinking. Woman, don't you know he's got 900 chariots? Here's all the reasons why we should not do what God told us to do, right? I know what God said, but I know what I see. I know what I feel. I know what I'm experiencing. But Deborah has a confidence in God that I think Barak lacks. She says, has not the Lord said? Don't you remember when God said? And I love it because we see this pattern through the book of Judges. God said, and I will draw out Sisera, right? And I will give him into your hand. God is saying, I will do the work, but you need to be obedient to go on to the battlefield. We'll come back to that. Judges chapter 4, verse 8, Barak responds to her and he says, if you will go with me, I will go, but I will not go, uh, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. Doesn't this sound like, you know, you've got kids and you tell your youngest to go do something and they, I'm only going to go if, if big brother goes with me, big sister goes with me, Right? They're nervous, they're afraid. And it's interesting because Barak was this, this man, he was a manly man, the, the general of the army. He led men, right? He was the leader of leaders. And when it came, comes time to face Sisera on the battlefield, he says, um, I'll only go if you go with me. But if you won't go with me, I'm not gonna go. He demands that she goes with him to the battlefield. It's interesting because I think this says something about his relationship with God. I think it says something about his faith and his trust in God. The, the fact that he would only go if she went. And I can't help but think that maybe he felt a little bit like she was his lucky charm. Well, God loves you and you're close to God, so why don't you help me take care of this problem? If you go with me, I know it's going to be fine. It's like a talisman or something. Um, <laughs> gosh, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. Um, I had never heard of this tradition until I moved to Pennsylvania. And when I moved to Pennsylvania, I found out that people, if they were having a hard time selling their house, you know where I'm going, they would take a statue of St. Joseph, and they would bury it in the yard. And if you, you have to bury it head down facing the house. I think that's the way it goes. And it's going to give you good luck. And he is the patron saint of real estate, of course. <laughs> and statistically, I'm sure that somebody in this room has done this. And I'm sure that somebody watching online has done this. And I want to help you with something. God is not spurred on by our um, lucky charms. He is not impressed by our, oh gosh, I shouldn't call it this, but I'm going to, our, our idols. He doesn't go, well, I wasn't going to sell their house, but you know what? They stuck an idol into the ground, head down, I got to do it now. I'm bound by the, right? That's not how it works. But what do we do? We, we do things like that. We knock on wood. 
right? We have all these things we do to bring us luck, to bring us good fortune. And at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're relying on something other than God. And what Barak was doing is he was relying on something other than God. He said, you know what? If, if I had trust in God like you, I could do it, but I don't. So why don't you go with me? You're, you're going to be my St. Joseph, right? You're going to be my lucky charm. I'm going to take you with me and everything will be just fine. And I'm telling you today, this was a problem for God. Verse 9 says, And she said, Deborah says to him, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now, I want to help you with something. Women in this day and age did not have a high level of authority. They were not given a high amount of esteem. They were second-class citizens in virtually every way possible. And so what Deborah says to him is, hey, the glory that would come your way for leading the nation of Israel into battle is not going to go to you now. God's still going to deliver the victory, but you're not going to get any of the glory. The glory's going to go to someone else. And not only is it going to go to someone else, it's going to go to a woman. It's going to go to a woman? Women don't win battles. Men win battles. And so this flies in the face of convention. And I feel like this is what she was saying to him. Because you're not fully trusting in God, you cannot receive his full reward. If you would trust in God and go, God, I don't see how this is going to work out, but I trust you and I'm going to go. And you know what? I don't need, I don't need the judge to go with me because I know you are in control. If you would do that, if you'd fully trust in God, you would get the full reward. God would bless you. God would honor you. God would allow you to share in his glory. But because you don't fully trust in God, you can't get the full reward. And I see this pattern over and over and over in our walk with God. We don't fully trust in God, so we never fully reap the reward of trusting in God. Partial disobedience, or partial obedience is still disobedience. Have you ever had your kids obey you partially, and then they expected a full blessing for it? Hey, I'll give you $2 if you'll clean your room. And then what do they do? They shove everything under their bed, plates, dishes, food, there's animals living under the bed, and then they can't figure out why you won't give them the $2 for cleaning their room, because it looks good, but you didn't do what I asked you to do, right? It was, you were partially obedient, so you're 100% disobedient. And this is what I'm telling you today. Sometimes we think if we are partially obedient, if, if we do it according to what we want, then maybe it'll work out. And I'm telling you today, God wants our full obedience because he wants to give us the full reward. He wants to bless us. He wants us to walk in the victory. Judges chapter 4, verse 12. It says, When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinom, had gone to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all the chariots, he, all of them, all 900 chariots, and all the men who were with him from the place he was to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of his sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Now put a pin in that for a second. Why would a man who's in a chariot get out of his chariot and run away on foot? Verse 16 says, And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to the river. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. 
A couple things I want to point out here. The first thing is, a second time, Deborah had to come to him and go, hey, you remember when I reminded you before what God had said? I'm reminding you again. Do you, do you remember when God said he's going to win the victory? Now, go out there, right? Get going. God wants to win the victory. And I'm telling you, sometimes we don't see God win the victory because we're unwilling to enter the battlefield. We're too afraid of, of what may happen, what might not happen. We're too afraid of, of the unknown. And what we know is slavery, but at least it's better than the fear of death, right? That's why the children of Israel over and over and over said, take us back to Egypt. At least we had good food to eat. It's like, you were slaves. Do you not remember what was going on? We idealize our slavery. One of the things I thought about last week as Pastor Christina was preaching about Gideon, how the, the army of Gideon was whittled down, right, over and over and over, and eventually had 300 men to face 30,000 men. And they saw God move in a mighty way, and God won the victory that day. And I'm telling you, I really do believe one of the reasons we don't see God move miraculously on our behalf is that we're so averse to overwhelming odds. We see the odds and we go, well, this must not be God because God wants me to win the victory. But we're thinking in our own brains how victory is supposed to work. And I'm telling you today, God wants to get all the glory. And so he's going to make the victory seem impossible. And he's going to ask us to trust him and obey him so that he gets it all. And I'm telling you today, if you want God to move in your life, listen to his voice and respond to him, even when the odds seem overwhelming. He will win a miraculous victory. But the problem is we're so afraid of what we see. There's 900 chariots. I'd be a fool to go fight, right? And we forget that God has said, it's not up to you, it's up to me. I'm gonna fight the battle for you. I'm gonna go before you. Verse 15, we read it. Let me read this to you again. And the Lord routed, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his armies before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Now this is interesting because if you read the next chapter, the next chapter is the song of Deborah and Barak. And, and this is the song of victory. And this is the song that, that the people would sing. And they would pass down stories in their songs. And so they sing this song, and we're not going to sing it tonight, but what we see here is the, the, the between-the-line stuff, the context of what happened. And what we see is, according to Judges 5, 4 through 5, and verse 21 of chapter 5, uh, basically what happened is God sent the rains down, and the rains caused a flash flood, and the flash flood caused mud. And how many of you know chariots don't do very well in the mud? And all these chariots get bogged down. And the overwhelming advantage that the Canaanites had over the Israelites was negated because the God of the universe sent rain to flood that area. It actually says that the army was swept away by the torrent. See, God didn't tell them how he was going to bring them through. He simply said, obey me and trust me. See, we want to know all the details. But God, how's this going to work? Because the God, they got these, these chariots, right? We're, we can't overcome these chariots. And what we fail to remember is that God has plenty of resources to secure the victory. Think about your situation that seems overwhelming. And you go, God, how can we do this? God, I know what you're asking me to do, but I don't know if I can do it. 
God, you're asking me to tithe and we can't afford to. God, you're asking me to start serving at the church, but I, I don't have any extra time. God, you're asking me to give something up and I don't know if I can. And what I want you to know is you don't have to worry about the resources. You don't have to worry about how it's going to turn out. What I know is the God of the universe has all the resources he needs to secure the victory. What you need to understand is he's called us to obey and trust him. That's all our job is, is to say, God, I know what you've called me to do, so I'm going to do it, and I'm going to trust that you will make up the difference. We start measuring the number of chariots we have, and the number of swords we have, and the number of men we have. And at the end of the day, God's got resources far beyond any of those things. So all he's asking us to do is trust him and be obedient. Verse 17, the Sesera. Uh, Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Zor and the house of the Heber, uh, Heber the Kenite. So there was peace between the Canaanites and this house. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. Here's what's going on. He says, I'm on the run for my life. My army has been decimated. And so I want to hide out. I need to rest. I need to recuperate in your tent. Can you do that? Yeah. So he covers up. She gives him some supplies. And he says, you stand guard at the mouth of the tent. I'm going to take a little nap and get some rest. And if anybody comes this way, you just tell them you don't know a thing. Got it? She said, got it. And this should be simple because, again, in this context, uh, women were not expected to think for themselves. Women were expected to take orders from men, even men who weren't necessarily their husbands. So when he gives a directive, he expects it to be followed to the letter. Judges 4.21 says, but Jael, she did not listen. The wife of Heber took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went into the ground. While he was lying fast asleep from weariness, so he died. Just in case you didn't notice that, okay? The, the peg went through his head into the ground, and then the author of Judges said, so he died, just in case you didn't know that. In case you're bad at biology. This is a gruesome scene, right? I mean, this is horrific. This would be a rated R movie if it was a movie. Uh, you could not show this on regular television. Uh, but this is the way God dealt justly with the situation. Verse 21 says, But Jael, the wife of Heber, took... Oh, oh, let me move on. Verse 22. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come and I will show you the man whom you're seeking. So we went into her tent, and there lay Sisera, dead, with a tent peg in his temple. <laughs> Jail was hardcore, man. Like, this lady just left him there. Like, yep, there he is, in the ground, right? God, that's hardcore. So here's your guy. And in that moment, he walks in, Barak walks in and recognizes the enemy that I should have defeated was defeated by somebody else because I didn't fully obey God because I didn't trust him. Someone else won the victory today. The victory that should have been mine 
ultimately wasn't mine because I didn't trust the Lord. And I'm telling you, there are victories that are yours that you will forfeit if you don't trust the Lord. There are things that God's got for you that, that if you don't fully trust the Lord, you will surrender to someone else. Verse 23, so on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. This is what I want you to understand. God is so dedicated to seeing his people set free that he will use unconventional means to do that. He will use a female judge named Deborah. He will use a woman to win the victory instead of the man. He will use a flood to, to bring a mudslide into an area to keep 900 chariots from being effective. He will use a woman to kill the general of the army. He will do these things in an unconventional way. And so many times we pray and go, God, I need you to help me. I need you to rescue me. I need you to be my Shaphat in this situation. But this is how I want it to look, God. This is how it's going to go down. And God goes, no, 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 no. You're using conventional wisdom, and I'm using unconventional means to, to win your victory. Trust me and obey me. I'm going to do things that you don't expect. I'm going to do things that are going to blow the world away because I'm going to get all the glory for it. So close your mouth and just simply obey me. I love the fact that God will do things differently than we expect. Because really what we see throughout the book of Kings, uh, throughout the book, I'm sorry, of, of Judges is this idea that the people of Israel were, were anticipating a king, but they were unwilling to submit their hearts to the one true king. They kept falling into judgment, into captivity, kept crying out for salvation, and this cycle kept on over and over and over again. And there's a passage of scripture I want to read to you. The same verse is said twice. It's said in Judges 17.6, and it's said again in Judges 21.25, and it says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, this is what you have to understand. A king would set a culture for his people. A king would set the tone. A king would tell you what the values of the kingdom are going to be. And the values would dictate what the laws are going to be. In the land we live in today, uh, the values of our nation drive the laws of our nation. And I'm telling you, the values of the kingdom of heaven drive the laws of the kingdom of heaven. And if we are in rebellion against the laws of the kingdom of heaven, then there's a good chance that our heart is in rebellion against the values of the kingdom of heaven. And in the same way that the, the people of Israel didn't have a king because they failed to submit to him, we can live without a king if we fail to submit to him. And, and when we fail to submit to the king and the values of the king, what we have to understand is everyone will do what they want to do. Because if there's not one objective truth, then there is all this subjective truth. Well, it's right for you, but it's not right for me. And we're all going to do what we feel like is right in our own eyes. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, I won't read this whole passage to you. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, the priest Samuel, he, he served as a judge as well, but Samuel had come into authority and the nation of Israel came to him and they said, we want a king like all the other nations have. And he said, you, you don't want a king. Let me tell you about all the bad things that a king is going to do. 
They said, no, 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 we want a king. We want a king. We want a king. So he goes to God and goes, God, what am I supposed to do? And God says, give them what they want. If they refuse to serve me as king, then give them an earthly king. And what we see is he sells them to this earthly king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 19, it says, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the other nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Did you hear what it said at the end? They said, We want a king who will judge us, Shaphat, be a savior, an avenger, a rescuer, a hero. We want a, a king like that, and we want a king who will go out before us and fight our battles. Now, I want to rewind back just a little bit. Judges chapter 4, verse 14, when Deborah is talking to Barak, uh, Barak and she says, um, Up, for this is the day that the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Does not the Lord go before you? Do you know what she's saying? We've got a king who goes before us. We've got a king who will judge us, Shaphat. He will rescue us. He will save us. Don't you recognize that? Don't you see that? And in the same way that the people of Israel failed to recognize that they had what they really desired, we failed to recognize that we have what we really desire. What we want is a king, a true king. And what I'm telling you today is we have a true king. We have one who is a rescuer, an avenger, a, a deliverer. He does these things. That is who he is. Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. I don't preach much from Revelation, uh, but I love this, the imagery of this. It's talking about Jesus returning, and it says, On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, just so you know, Jesus doesn't have a tattoo on his thigh that says, King of kings and Lord of lords, because some of you are thinking that right now. What a lot of, um, what a lot of theologians believe is that uh, what we see historically is a lot of high-ranking officials, they would have their title or their name on a scabbard for their sword, and that commonly rested on their thigh. And so what it would do is uh, it would identify who was in control, who was in charge, who the boss was. And so what we see here, according to John, um, when Jesus returns, he's going to have that on his robe. He's going to have it on his thigh. It's going to be clear to everybody who the King of kings and the Lord of lords is. His identity will be clear to us. I love in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says this. If I can pull it up. Um, at the end of Timothy, he's describing who Jesus is. And he says, he who is the blessed and only sovereign. So a king of a nation will be called the sovereign. But what Paul says to Timothy is, hey, Jesus is the only sovereign. There is only one who has sovereign authority over all others. He says the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's saying oh, when all the kings get together for their king meetings, their king conference, and they all come together, he said, guess what? There's one king that all those kings bow down to. No matter how much authority they have, they have no authority compared to this king. And he said, all the lords that are out there, all the people who think they have authority, compared to his lordship, there is no authority. He says, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I'm telling you today, the nation of Israel was searching for a king. They were longing for a king, and they failed to recognize that they had a king. 
I'm telling you tonight, maybe you're here and you've never recognized that there is a king who loves you, who will rescue you, who will restore you, who will avenge you, who will take care of you, who will be a hero for you. I want you to know tonight, there is a king like that. His name is Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're very religious. Maybe you come to church often. Maybe you're here every week, but you recognize tonight, you know what, I, I think Jesus is Savior. I don't know if he's king, though, because a king will determine the values of the kingdom. And maybe your values don't perfectly line up with the values of the king. Maybe you're doing some things that are out of the norm for somebody who lives in the kingdom. And you say, you know what, I need to bring my values into alignment with the values of the king. Maybe I need to submit my whole heart to him. Maybe I need to surrender every aspect of my life to the king. I want to give you that opportunity tonight. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we love you that you are a good father, that we can trust you, that we can put our hope and our faith in you, and that tonight um, that hope will not put us to shame. So God, I pray tonight would be a night that we would surrender our whole lives to you, that we would hold nothing back from you, that we would recognize you as the one true king, the king of kings, that Lord, tonight we would recognize that you are everything we need. Just like the nation of Israel was searching, Lord, I pray that tonight our search would end. Lord, those that are far from you would recognize who you are tonight. They would see your beauty and your majesty, your goodness, and be drawn to that. Lord, I pray for those that are here that are religious. Maybe they, they're in relationship with you. Maybe they know all the facts about you, but the reality is they've never surrendered their whole life to you. And tonight, Lord, is the night that, that we make you king, that we allow you to be sovereign over our lives, that we give you authority. So God, I pray tonight would be that night. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here tonight and you say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not really a Christian. I'm not really walking with God, but I recognize tonight my need for a king. I recognize tonight that, that I'm doing what is right in my own eyes because there is no king in my life. And I want to surrender my life to him. I want to, I want to give my life to him. I want to let him be king tonight. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I'm just going to pray with you where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it tonight? And you can put it right back down. Is there any that you'd say, Mel, that's me. I want to make Jesus king in my life tonight. I want to surrender it all to him. Yeah, thank you. Up in the balcony, I see you. Praise God. Anyone else want to join this one and say, that's me. Pray for me, Mel. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life, king of kings. All right. I'd like every person in this room, whether you raise your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me, and thank you for giving your Son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life belongs to you. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give God a round of applause tonight? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it with you raised your hand or not, I want you to know that you are a new creation. The Word of God tells us if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you shall be saved. So you are a new creation today. And we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you prayed that prayer with us uh, and you meant it, 
take that card out of the seat back in front of you. On one side it says need prayer and the other side it says salvation. Fill out the side of the card that says salvation. When we finish here in just a moment, take it over to our information center. Give it to them. They're going to give you a free Bible just to help you take the next step on your faith journey. Uh, Here's what's going to happen right now. The worship team's going to lead us in one more song. We're going to sing together. We're going to worship together. And then in just a moment, um, Pastor Ricky is going to come and he's going to close us out. While we're singing this final song, our prayer team's going to come up and they'll be available on either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all today, no matter what it may be, step out as we begin to sing, find one of them, let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, Pastor Ricky will close us out. And uh, if, if, unless you've got an emergency, please don't leave early. Uh, we want to show you a, a quick video that I think will inspire you and uh, from one of the stories of people in our church. So stick around for that. Stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go tonight. I tell you often, I hope you know I mean it. I love you more than you know. And I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful night. <laughs>